well, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 47. Now, if you need to use the index, don't be uh, afraid to do so. Uh, It's not a book that people often turn to, but it's a, a very important part of Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 47, we're looking at verses 13 to 23 this morning under the heading Lessons from the Land to Come. Ezekiel 47, verse 13. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. These are the boundaries which you are to divide the land for an inheritance among the twelve tribes of Israel with two portions for Joseph. You are to divide it equally among them because I swore with uplifted hand to give it to your forefathers. This land will become your inheritance. This is to be the boundary of the land. On the north, it will run from the great sea by the Hethlon Road past Libo Hamath to Zadad, Berotha and Sibraim, which lies on the border between Damascus and Hamath, as far as Hazar Hatikon, which is on the border of Horan. The boundary will extend from the sea to Hazar Inan. Along the northern border of Damascus, with the border of Hamath to the north, this will be the north boundary. On the east side, the boundary will run between Horan and Damascus, along the Jordan, between Gilead and the land of Israel, to the eastern sea as far as Tamar. This will be the east boundary. On the south side, it will run from Tamar as far as the waters of Meribah Kadesh, then along the Wadi of Egypt to the Great Sea. This will be the south-south boundary. On the west side, the Great Sea will be the boundary to a point opposite Libo Hamath. This will be the west boundary. You are to divide or you are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance to your, for yourselves and for the aliens who have settled among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native born Israelites along with you. They are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the alien settles, There you are to give him his inheritance, declares the Sovereign Lord. Well, please keep your Bible open there. In the uh, early 1760s, two Englishmen uh, by the names of Charles Mason and Jeremiah Dixon sailed from Britain to America on a very unusual mission. They were going to establish the borders of four American states, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, and West Virginia. 
And the reason they were doing this was that for a number of years there had been a dispute between William Penn's sons in Pennsylvania and Cecil Calvert's sons in Maryland over the land they had been given. You see, both had been given land by different kings. King Charles I had promised them some things, and then King Charles II had come along and promised them another. And uh, there was conflicting uh, views about what they were allowed. And so they settled the dispute by employing Charles Mason, who was uh, an astronomer, and Jeremiah Dixon, who was a surveyor, to come and sort it out. And so between 1763 and 1767, they used their skills to establish the borders of these four states, and particularly the the borderland between Maryland and Pennsylvania. And despite their primitive technology and uh, their tools, they created a demarcation line which today is still used and bears their names. It's called the Mason Dixon line. In fact, now it's a very popular tourist attraction. People like to go on cycle, cycle rides along it and, uh, or walk along it to be able to say, I've walked all the way along it. And uh, they love to look out for what are called the crown stones. They're, they're stones that have a crown on them every five miles. And there's a stone every mile as well uh, to mark out the boundary. And people love to, to take photographs. I've seen them all and found all the boundary. And one of the last photographs of President Kennedy before he was assassinated was taken before uh, by one of those boundary stones. Now you may be thinking to yourselves, well John, what a boring illustration to start your sermon at the beginning of this new year. What could be more boring than the borderland line between American states? But let me tell you this, dear friends, if you lived in 1781, you wouldn't say it was boring at all. Because for many people, that border was the difference between freedom and slavery. If you were black and you lived in Pennsylvania, you would be free. But if you lived in Maryland or Delaware, you would be a slave. You see, borders actually do make a very real difference to everyday life for the people who have them. And these borders mattered a lot. Well, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47, verses 13 to 23, we have the establishment of some other borders that will matter very much as well in the future. The borders of the land of Israel in the future kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that one day in the future, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back at his second coming. And when he does so, he's going to put an end to sin, he's going to put an end to Satan, he's going to put an end to suffering, and he's going to give this old world a new birth. It's going to be a new birth for planet Earth. This fallen world is going to be given a glorious makeover. Uh, with what the New Testament calls the regeneration or the renewal of all things in Matthew 19 verse 28. It's sometimes called the messianic kingdom or the millennial kingdom because it's going to last a thousand years according to Revelation chapter 20. But the point is that the whole world is going to be put right when Christ comes back to reign. And that includes the literal physical land of Israel. You know, Yogi Bear used to say, the future ain't what it used to be. (laughs) But he's wrong. He's wrong. 
Because just as a man called Joshua divided the land up for Israel back at the beginning of the Bible when they entered Canaan, so another man called Joshua, Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, it's the same name in Hebrew, will divide the land again in the future. And Ezekiel the prophet, writing way back in the 7th century before Christ, prophesied it, and he wrote about it in the last chapters of his book, where he talks about Israel's future renewal. If you look in verse 13, it says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, These are the boundaries which you are to divide the land as an inheritance. And verse 21, You are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. And this isn't a myth, this isn't a, a, a fiction, it's rock-solid fact. Because you'll notice this passage begins and ends with a statement that this is what the Sovereign Lord has said. The first line in verse 13, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, or the Lord God says, is how it's put in other translations, Jehovah Adonai. And that's the uh, same statement in the last line of this as well, declares the Sovereign Lord. It's bracketed around by the command of God himself. And so it is absolutely certain. And I want us to look at this today because I believe this passage will not only enlighten us, I believe it will also encourage us. It will enlighten us about what God is going to do in the future, but it will also encourage us as we consider uh, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and what that actually means by way of application for you and me. You see, as I studied this passage earlier in the year, I came to three conclusions based on this passage, and I thought that's what we need to remember as we go into the new year in 2023. And these three conclusions are this. Number one, God's promises never fail. Number two, God's provisions never shrink. And number three, God's principles never change. So those are three things I want us to learn this morning from this passage that we may take into the year ahead. And may God open our eyes and our hearts as we study these things together. First of all, then, I want you to see God's promises never fail. And that's what verses 13 and 14 are really about. Years ago, the quick-witted writer Mark Twain advised investors to buy land. And he said, you ought to buy land because they're not making it anymore. (laughs) And to this day, everyone knows the value of a good piece of land, don't they? Whether it's in Monopoly or uh, uh, Catan, as I was talking to someone before the, the, uh, the service. Location, location, location is the key to winning the game. Well, in the book of Genesis, God promised the patriarchs of Israel the precious land of Canaan as their inheritance. The land which, according to Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5, is the center of the earth as far as God is concerned. And uh, that inheritance was given to them from God. In fact, you'll notice as you read through the passage, the word inheritance came up five times in this passage. Five is the number of grace, as Brian Pratt always reminds me. And uh, in the Bible, numbers have a significance. And here we have grace, grace, a gracious gift from God to Israel, the land that he's going to give them in the future. And whilst they themselves, uh, the, 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 the patriarchs themselves, 
were ultimately looking for our heavenly land, as Hebrews 11 tells us, nevertheless, God's promises to them in this world still hold true. And here in verses 13 and 14, we see those promises literally coming to pass. First of all, for Joseph in verse 13, and then for all the patriarchs, all the heads of the fathers of the tribes of Israel in verse 14. In verse 13, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. These are the boundaries which you are to divide, by which you are to divide the land for an inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel with two portions for Joseph. I wonder if you may remember back in Genesis chapter 48, that uh, last meeting Joseph had with his father. And he brought his two sons to see Jacob on his deathbed. And Jacob put out his hands to bless both sons. He actually crossed over, you remember, and blessed the younger one instead of the older one with the greater blessing. But in doing so, he gave Joseph a double portion above his other 11 brothers because of Jacob's love for Joseph and for all that he had been through. Well, when Joshua divided the land in his day, he gave Ephraim and Manasseh each their own border of the land in fulfillment of that blessing. And we read that in Joshua chapter 16 to 17. And what thrills me here is that thousands of years later, uh, as we see God gives the land, he still holds fast that promise and he gives Joseph a double portion in the land to come. He gives Ephraim and Manasseh their own territorial land. If you look at the map of Israel's future borders, you'll see Ephraim and Manasseh have two of the greatest portions on the whole map. But then in verse 14, it says... uh, You are to divide it equally among them because I swore with uplifted hand to give it to your forefathers. This land will become your inheritance. And what we see here is that God is not only true in his promise to Joseph to give him a double portion and his tribes, but he is also true to give the other tribes uh, their portions as well. And he says to divide it equally among themselves. Uh, as he says again in verse 21 and we haven't got time to go into it this morning but if you read chapter 48 the last chapter of this book of Ezekiel you'll see that God gives each of the tribes their own portion of the land and it looks sort of like Joseph's technicolor dream coat doesn't it and the, the strips of land go across in straight lines some people by the way think that's uh, that that proves it can't be true but did you notice the Maryland Dixon the, the Mason Dixon line it was a straight line and there are many borders in the world that are straight lines and uh, this is a, a portioned to the tribes of Israel you see friends God's promises never fail Back in chapter 36 and verse 28, God said, you will live in the land I give your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. And in chapter 20, verse 5, he said, I swear it with an upheld hand. Now, you know what happens when you go to a court of law and you have to give a testimony? You have to swear with an uphold hand. And it's a way of saying this is absolutely true. It's absolutely going to happen. And this is what God promised for the tribes of Israel, that he would give them the land 
he had promised. Even if today they have to wait a long time to see the ultimate fulfillment of what he has said he would give them. Now I know somebody is going to say, well hang on a minute John, hang on a minute. Israel forfeited those promises when they sinned and they went into captivity and uh, because of their sin they forsook the, the, the promise of the land but I would, I would remind you that Ezekiel is writing during the captivity, he's not writing before it, <laughs> before they've sinned and oh well now you've sinned, you've lost it he was writing at the time when they were in captivity. And you read chapter 8, it was even while Israel was still sinning in the most terrible, wicked ways. God had promised to give this land. And just as in the earlier chapters, he said he's going to restore them to himself spiritually in chapter 36 and 37. So he is going to restore Israel to their land physically as well in the last days so what a wonderful message for us as we start the new year that God's promises never fail his promises to be with us Matthew 28 verse 20 will not fail his promise to never leave us or forsake us uh, Hebrews 13 5 it will not fail his promise to guide us Proverbs 3 5 and 6 will not fail if we trust in him his promise to give us his spirit that we may be his servants in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 will not fail and many many others are still going to come true as we go into this year ahead Psalm 119 verse 140 says your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them I want to say that's that's true God's promises are trustworthy you know, this came home to me such a forceful way just uh, a few years ago. I cut it out and I stuck it in my notes here. In 2017, in the Open Doors prayer diary, there was a, a, a prayer request for a young man who had been in Syria and he had been kidnapped by ISIS. He was a Christian and he'd been held by ISIS for three years. Can you imagine a more terrifying, awful situation than that? You know what they do to Christians? They cut their heads off, didn't they? You've seen the videos. Awful. But do you know what his, his testimony was when he was released? He said, God didn't leave me or let me down. I thought, you know, if anybody could have said, oh, well, God, you really blew it there. I needed you and you let me be kidnapped by ISIS. He said, God didn't leave me or let me down. And he said, I felt the power of the prayers for me when I was kidnapped. Please continue to pray for me now so that I will grow closer to God. (laughs) What a wonderful thing. So he is faithful as we see here. And we can be encouraged by this truth as we go into the year ahead. Second thing I want you to see here is that God's provisions never shrink as well as God's promises never fail. And I say that because in the middle section of this passage you'll notice that the prophet goes in a clockwise direction around the borders of Israel from north to west. And what you'll notice is, especially if you look at it on the map like I've got behind here, is that the land of Israel hasn't got any smaller hasn't got any smaller it's at least the same size as the land grant given by Moses to the children of Israel in numbers 34 it's all it's the the same borders given back then 
the only difference between that is Moses lays out the borders from the bottom to the top. And Ezekiel lays them out from the top to the bottom. You say, well, why do they do that? Well, Moses was coming up to the land from Egypt, from the bottom. Ezekiel was from Babylon looking down. And so they both uh, came from their own perspective. But it's at least the same size, no smaller. And if you uh, take into account as well the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 15 that the borders of Israel will be between the two rivers, the river Nile and the Euphrates River, then it's even bigger. And that may be why Isaiah 26.15 says, You have enlarged the nation, O Lord. You have extended all the borders of the land. That may be the case. But Ezekiel's prophecy only mentions the same size borders as Numbers 34, which if you're listening to this on on the CD or on on the internet and you can't see a map of this, it's not quite the same as the normal maps of Israel that you have in the back of your Bible. It's actually a little bit more like uh, an axe sort of shape. With, uh, it goes higher at the top and lower at the bottom, but it goes out at the side uh, over the land of Jordan like the shape of an axe head. And in verses 15 to 17, we have the border along the top, uh, which goes along from the Mediterranean Sea along the Lebanon border and uh, parts of Syria today. Land which Ezekiel himself would probably have gone through on his way into captivity. And here we have a number of interesting places mentioned, including Hamath, Not Hamas, not to be confused with that, but Hamath is a place. It's known in verse 15 as Hamar uh, today, which has a a beautiful river flowing through it and some huge water wheels uh, called Nariahs. It's very famous for that. In verse 16, among the names there, you'll notice there's a place called Barotha, which is today called Brittany, and uh, it's where Hezbollah started. So think of the significance of that. Jesus is going to rule over the place where Hezbollah started uh, to try and wipe out Israel. And especially later on in uh, the the verse 17, Hazar Inan, which is an oasis. So you have that northern border along there, which establishes the top of the land of Israel. Then in verse 18, we have the east border uh, in verse 18. And this includes a place called Horan. Can you see this uh, bigger place here, this bulge at the bottom on the map? That's a place called Horan. And I was fascinated to learn that Horan is the breadbasket of the Middle East. The ground there is volcanic uh, and it has amazing, it has always been from the Old Testament times to the New Testament times, a place of great agricultural prosperity. And to this day, that's still its main purpose. It's actually where the war began in Syria in 2011. But the Lord is going to bless that to the people of Israel. You have Damascus there, which is uh, going to be ruined according to uh, Isaiah 17 and is going to be uh, established again in the kingdom in Jesus' name. And uh, later down at the bottom, you have a place called Tamar. And Tamar is a fascinating place. Uh, It's a place which 
archaeologists have found amazing amount of evidence for the kingdoms of the Old Testament. They found evidence of the reign of Solomon and they found loads of destroyed Edomite idols that go back to the days of Josiah when Josiah cleansed the land. So amazing to see that on the map. Then on the south side uh, in verse 19 on the south side uh, in verse 19 we come down towards the desert near Egypt along the cross of the bottom there and uh, we find a place called Meribah Kadesh in verse 19 which is the waters of strife. You remember where Moses was uh, hassled by the Israelites over the water issue there and he struck the the rock there. That's where Israel uh, tempted Moses uh, in that place. And then you have the west border, which is going to be... Oh, sorry. I don't know why. One of the, uh, one of the arrows doesn't go. But the west border is the border that goes up the Mediterranean Sea. Someone has said, if you look at the border of the Mediterranean Sea, it's like a blade. Uh, it's smooth at the bottom and goes straight up. Israel hasn't got many natural ports, but it's very, very useful as a, a place for reaching out across the Mediterranean. And one of the things that's uh, amazing as we look in verse 20 is that there's no mention of the Philistines or the Gaza Strip because they won't be there. It's the land of Israel. In fact, verse 18 says it's the land of Israel. still going to be known by that name. And so we see uh, these borders established for the, for the future state of Israel when the Lord Jesus comes back. And what I see there is another encouraging lesson for us as we think of the year ahead. And that is that God's provisions never shrink. God's provisions never shrink. God has always provided exactly what his people needed. He provided for the Jewish people in the, in the Old Testament, the land grant, and the, in the New Testament days ahead, the land will be equal to at least what it was in Moses' day. It hasn't shrunk. And you know what? That's an encouragement for us. As we think about the needs of the year ahead, we think of the bills and, uh, and the things that are before us. God is our provider. God is our provider. I came across a a lovely testimony to this uh, uh, effect in a missionary magazine from the New Tribes Mission uh, sometime last year. A couple called Matthew and Liz Cuthbert. And they were training to be missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And as a part of their training, they not only got trained in this country, but they also had to go out to America, language training and things like this. And these people who are doing the missionary training, they live entirely by faith. You know, they, they, they don't have an income. They're not paid by a missionary society to do it. They rely on God being their provider. Well, they say in this uh, testimony, they say, The plaque on our walls said it all. For my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And he did exactly that. When we had needs, he met them again and again. Food outside our door, gifts in our mailbox, all anonymous, but perfectly timed. He even supplied exactly what we needed for the hospital bill when our daughter was born. 
Once on a snowy, cold and early January morning, we were getting ready to leave Missouri to travel to Newark to return to the UK. We found an envelope tucked into our car windscreen with $30 and a note that said, for the road. They said, not long into our journey, we got a flat tire. But praise the Lord, just a short distance off the highway, there was a garage. A new tire was needed, and of course it cost $30. (laughs) We went on our way rejoicing and thankful in heart. What a saviour we serve. So God is a great provider. You know, Dave Beezer told me his dad used to always say, if the Lord doesn't come, he'll send. He'll send. He's our provider. And that's another lesson we see from these borders here. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's remember that. And then finally we see God's principles never change in verses 21 through to 23, the last part of this portion. And one poet put it like this. They said, methods are many, principles are few. Methods often change, principles never do. And that's exactly what we see here in these last verses, in verses 21 through to 23. We see God telling future Israel that when they settle in the land, they are to practice the same principles which he has taught them elsewhere in scripture. Those principles are fairness in practice and acceptance in Christ. Those are the two principles in this passage. One applies to their fellow Jews and the other to the Gentile believers, as we'll see. Verse 21 is where we see the principle of fairness in practice. It says, you are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. In other words, the land is to be equally distributed among God's people, with each tribe having their own portion. It's according to to the tribes of Israel. And if you look uh, at a map, you'll see that that's uh, like Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat, as I said, with with the lines going across. And each tribe has their own portion in accordance with the size of the tribe. They may not have mile for mile the same size, but percentage-wise, according to the size of the tribe, they have what they need. There's a fair distribution of the land. And I like the term this land in verse 21. You will distribute this land. You know, in the days when Israel was trying to be established uh, after World War II, they tried to offer Israel the land of Uganda. But God didn't say the land of Uganda. He said this land, this land, and you will divide this land to the people. But a New Testament principle is that we should be fair in practice. Colossians 4 verse 1 says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And as Christians, we should be fair in all our dealings with people. From, uh, from uh, uh, our, our dealings in the church to our dealings in our family. As parents, we should be fair in our dealings with our children. I was quite uh, hit by this when I looked at a magazine some time ago which had a comparison between the two sons of John Lennon, the Beatle. 
and he had two sons by two women. You remember he was first married to a lady called Cynthia, and he had a son by the name of Julian, and then he was married to Yoko Ono, where he had a son called Sean. But he didn't treat them fairly. Do you know, when uh, Sean was old, sorry, when Sean was a boy, John wrote a, a song called Beautiful Boy for him, and he sung it for himself. He wrote a song called Good Night for Julian, and Ringo Starr had to sing it because John wasn't going to sing it. Imagine how a child feels about that. You know, uh, when uh, Julian went to boarding school, he went to North Wales. When Sean went to boarding school, he went to Switzerland. Wasn't fair treatment, wasn't it? And the one that really struck me was Julian's inheritance was £2,400 a year. When John uh, laid out an inheritance for Sean, it was £250 million. Think how that hurts a child. You know, Julian Lennon had to buy his father's clothes online wherever he could find them after they had been sold at an auction. Sean got the pick of everything. You know, that's so far away from the biblical principles of fairness, isn't it? And God wants us to practice fairness in our dealings with each other. So let's learn that principle from this passage here. But also we see the principle that doesn't change, which is acceptance in Christ in verse 22 to 23. Verse 22 says, you are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the aliens, that means the foreigners, who have settled among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites along with you. They are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the alien settles, there you are to give him his inheritance, declares the sovereign Lord. And here here the Lord calls the Jews in that day to accept their brothers and sisters in Christ into the land, even if they're Gentiles. Now I want to say this, this is not a Bible verse which is teaching that they had to accept people with foreign gods to come into their land. Because this isn't about today and the invasion which is happening across borders today to bring in Islam into different countries. It was about in the kingdom when the Jews come out of the tribulation and the Christians come out of the tribulation. And if any Christian wants to settle in the land of Israel, saved by the same Jewish Messiah, they are allowed to do so. A little bit like Ruth being welcomed in Bethlehem along with Naomi in the Old Testament. Both together, Jew and Gentile are to be welcomed. And this is an evidence, again, that God's principles never change, isn't it? Leviticus 19, verse 34 says, The alien living among you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And in the New Testament, in Ephesians 2.19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. At the beginning, in the middle of the Bible, and at the end, the Bible says the same thing on these matters. And whilst God's dispensations may change, and his requirements of law may change, his principles of brotherly love never do. Hebrews 13 verse 1, let brotherly love 
continue. And we must try and do that too as we go into this new year. You know, in my first church, uh, our first church in Arborfield, we had a gypsy camp on the edge of the village. It was a a big scrap metal uh, merchant's camp and they had uh, permanent caravans on that place. There was always police raids, uh, helicopters flying over, uh, over above. And it was a real flashpoint of tension in this beautiful rural village. There was burglaries, there was uh, vandalism to property and all sorts going on. But you know, when some gypsy Christians came from that camp into our little church one Sunday night, what blessed me was how the Christians got out of their pews, got out of their seats, and went to welcome them. Went to welcome them. Because they were brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what God is calling for here. He's not calling for ecumaniacs, but he's calling for ecumenity, which is true. And I think uh, we're led by example to try and do this ourselves as we look at this verse. So as we go into this new year, let's try to learn these three lessons from the land to come. Let's learn that God's promises never fail. Let's learn that God's provisions never shrink. Let's learn that God's principles never change. And let's rest on this. And as I close, I just want to ask this morning, which side of the border of God are you on? You know, the Bible tells us that some of us are in Christ and others are not. To be in Christ is to be in God's spiritual borders, to be saved by the Lord Jesus. And if you've not yet come to him, I would urge you to do that even this morning. God bless you. Let's sing our final song this morning, shall we? All the way my Saviour leads me.